Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm Diane Rebecca here on the Consumer Review Report, where we deal with consumer issues. We will review products. We will talk about products and services. Anything you want to hear, you can email me at consumerreviewreport on gmail or at gmail.com. Any products or services you'd like to hear about on the show, you can certainly email me again at consumerreviewreport at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook at Consumer Review Report and on Twitter at CRR in McKeesport. Also, if you have any questions or comments about anything you hear on the show about any of the products or services, you are certainly welcome to email me at consumerreviewreport at gmail.com and let me know what you think. Also, I'm on Facebook at Consumer Review Report and on Twitter at CRR in McKeesport. So, this show is heard Sunday at 4 p.m. and Thursday at 9 a.m. on Tube City Online, WMCK.FM. But also, podcasts of these shows are available on WMCK.FM slash CRR, iTunes, Google, iHeart, Spotify, and Spreaker. All right, now that we've got that out of the way, welcome to the show. It is Daylight Savings today. Ooh, we we get to see a little bit of sunlight a little longer every day up until June, I guess, June 21st, right? And that's good news. I don't know. Uh, I hope we see a lot of the sunshine because I know during the winter it was kind of gloomy. And when you did see peaks of sunshine, it was so good to see the sunshine. So hopefully we have a pretty good spring and summer where we see lots and lots of sunshine, especially from what we have been going through for the past year. So that would be nice. All right, so let's get to the show. Today I thought I'd talk about um, electric vehicles. Now, honestly, I don't think I will ever own one. Only because, um, you know, I like my gas car. Um, But, you know, you never know. It could be uh, down the road 20 years from now. They could say, you know, everybody has to drive an electric vehicle. You know, we're going to get rid of gas and oil cars and everybody will have to drive around in their electric vehicles. So (laughs) you just don't know. Uh, So I would never say never, but... I wouldn't choose. I would not choose an electric vehicle. But, you know, maybe uh, this show today might change my mind. I don't know. Anyways, we have a pretty good show uh, talking about electric vehicles. And since I don't know a whole lot about electric vehicles, I let other people do the talking for me. So the first thing up, we will hear from The Verge, uh, audio from their video, It's entitled, This Year Will Be Huge for Electric Cars, Here's Why. And then after that, we'll hear from Edmunds, which is a really top-notch company for reviewing cars. They have a video out, and we'll hear audio from it, and it's called Best Electric Vehicle of 2021, Top-Rated EV Cars and SUVs. And then after that, because this is one of the questions and curiosities I have, is like, uh, you know, if you're driving, how do you charge up? Do they have pumps at the gas station? I mean, I've never seen any, 
but of course I'm not looking for them, but they might have charging stations at the gas station. I just don't know it. Um, but you know, how do you go about charging your car? I mean, I know if you buy an electric car, they do have apps telling you which stations do have charging stations. But what if they're far and few between and you're taking a trip and about 250 miles you need to charge up? Plus, how long does it take to charge up? I mean, does it take seven hours to get you to full speed again? Or not full speed, but to a full tank, so to speak, <laughs> you know? Um, you know, it's very curious to me uh, whether you can take these on long, long trips or not. So I'll be curious to listen to this audio from CNBC and their video was uh, how Tesla, GM and others will fix electric vehicle range anxiety. And then the last portion of the show, we will hear from The Verge again. They have a video called Mustang Mach-E, the hype is real, uh, the, the electric uh, Mustang. So we'll hear what that's all about. All right, so let's get to our first audio piece. Again, it's from The Verge, and it's, uh, their video was, This year will be huge for electric cars, and here's why. So let's give that a go. We hear a lot about electric vehicles these days, but EVs are still just a tiny fraction of the overall car market. According to the International Energy Agency, plug-in cars account for about 1% of U.S. car sales and about 2.6% of global auto sales. But experts are predicting that 2021 will be a crucial year for EV adoption thanks to more options and growing interest from car buyers. So we thought we'd zero in on seven different EVs that are coming out this year and talk about what they tell us about where things are headed in the future. Because this wouldn't be a Verge video if we weren't talking about the future. There's probably no more polarizing electric vehicle coming this year than Tesla's Cybertruck. The stark steel body and Blade Runner-inspired design are unlike anything else on the market right now, gas or electric. Something Tesla has been really good at over the years is pushing legacy automakers out of their comfort zones. Without Tesla, we probably wouldn't see wide adoption of touchscreen displays in cars or have so much hype around self-driving tech. And without Tesla, it's hard to imagine any of these big OEMs seriously investing billions of dollars into electric vehicles. Will the Cybertruck inspire similar changes? Probably not, but it is refreshing to see something so different come to market. So if the Cybertruck is successful, maybe it'll give some of these automakers just a little bit more wiggle room to try something new in their designs. The Cybertruck will also just help prove out the market for large electric SUVs and trucks, which is a potential goldmine just based on the popularity of their gas counterparts. More will come later, like the electric F-150 or the Hummer EV, but Tesla says it's already collected more than half a million hundred dollar deposits for the Cybertruck, so that market's already off to a pretty good start. I couldn't believe it when I first heard that GM was resurrecting the Hummer brand as an EV the gas-guzzling symbol of pre-recession excess as an electric pickup truck? Forget about it. But GM did it, and the Hummer EV is expected to crab walk into dealerships by the end of this year. It will come with a 24-module, double-stacked Ultium propulsion system. Ultium is GM's modular battery platform, and that is expected to deliver at least 350 miles of range. With three motors and two drive units, the Hummer EV is expected to get up to 1,000 horsepower and an estimated 11,500 pound-feet of torque. 
but it won't be cheap, starting at $80,000 for the base model and over $110,000 for the highest spec trim. GM went overboard with the tech in this thing. Adaptive air suspension that can raise the vehicle six inches, 18 cameras, including front and rear underbody cameras to spy any rocky obstacles, the ability to charge 100 miles in 10 minutes, and of course, crab walk mode, which enables all four wheels to turn in the same direction and move the vehicle sideways. Look at that Hummer scuttle. After more than a decade of working in the shadows, EV startup Rivian is finally ready to release its R1T pickup and its R1S SUV later this year. The R1T is an ultra-modern rethink of what a pickup truck should look and feel like without going outside the box like the Cybertruck. The R1S is a Land Rover-ish SUV that's a little more familiar. Both start at around $70,000, offer at least 300 miles of range, and are decked out in fun, outdoorsy features like an optional pop-out camping kitchen. Deliveries start later this year. A few years ago, there were EV startups popping up left and right, all claiming to be the next Tesla. And one of the reasons they never accomplished that is just money. It takes a lot of money to design, test, and build cars at scale. Rivian, meanwhile, has raised more than $8 billion to date, including from really big backers like Amazon and Ford. It's applied that money well so far. It's developed new battery technology that it thinks is going to help set it apart from other entries on the market. It's also gone all out in developing this very particular branding of affluent off-roading adventure that appeals to buyers with deep pockets. Rivian's also making a delivery truck for Amazon as part of that investment that's already being tested on public roads right now. And while that's maybe not as alluring as the pickup truck, it just might be the first electric vehicle driving through your neighborhood. We've seen the Porsche Taycan and we've seen the Audi e-tron in e-tron GT, but the ID4 is arguably the most important EV for the Volkswagen Group, which is the second largest automaker in the world. First introduced in 2020, the ID4 is VW's first long-range EV for the US. VW expects to deliver over 100,000 ID4s in 2021, a third of which to US customers, and it's the second car to use VW's modular MEB platform for EVs after the ID3, which is only available in Europe and China. The ID4 is interesting because it has all the SUV DNA that car buyers really crave these days. It's the right size, it has the right styling, and when you factor in federal, state, and local tax credits, the price drops to that mid $30,000 range that's generally considered to be the sweet spot for most American car buyers. That's cheaper than the Tesla Model Y, which VW will be competing with. But it's important to remember how the ID4 got here. Dieselgate. In addition to nearly $35 billion in settlements and fines, VW vowed to spend billions more on a whole new lineup of electric vehicles in the hopes of rescuing its damaged reputation. Now, the automaker has promised to sell over a million battery electric vehicles by 2025 to make up for illegally concealing how much pollution its diesel vehicles were creating. And it's also pumping millions more into an EV charging station expansion through its subsidiary, Electrify America. Better charging infrastructure will go a long way towards speeding up the adoption of EVs, but only if VW can actually meet its goals. Now, there's a good argument that could be made that if VW had not got caught cheating on its emissions test, that the ID4 would not be rolling out to dealerships this year, if ever. And those EV charging stations could still be on the drawing board. It's funny how culpability works like that. What are you driving? An electric Mustang. What the? That is so sweet. <laughs> 
Ford made a huge bet with the Mustang Mach-E, and while it's still early, it looks like that bet could pay off. The Mustang Mach-E is a really good electric car, and will be one of the best for a while until the market really fills out. It has the kind of tech that early adopter customers tend to love, but without the obvious problems that usually surface when old automakers test new waters. We got really into the details with the Mustang Mach-E in my review, which you should definitely go watch if you want to learn more. But best of all for Ford, they've really excited a whole bunch of different conversations with this car. Is it a Mustang? Should a Mustang be electric? Should a Mustang be an SUV? There are more people asking those questions than ever really paid attention to Ford's fairly weak early electric vehicle efforts. So that's exciting. Cars like the Mustang Mach-E don't come around often. One EV that's flown under the radar so far is the Nissan Aria. Another compact SUV with a little less than 300 miles of range, the Aria is expected to go on sale in Japan in mid-2021, followed by the US and Europe later in the year. Everyone gives Tesla credit for making EVs popular, and Tesla certainly deserves it, but Nissan has long been an unsung leader in EV sales, despite really only having one EV, the highly functional, mostly uninspiring Nissan LEAF. And don't forget Renault, the French car maker that's allied with Nissan and Mitsubishi, has been pumping out miniature Zoes for years now with a high degree of success. But now Nissan is readying its sequel. The Aria's drivetrain is what really differentiates it from the Leaf. Rather than opt for a simple front-wheel drive arrangement, the Aria will come in multiple configurations, including a two-wheel drive version and a twin electric motor setup that will enable all-wheel drive performance, which Nissan is calling the E-Force, with a four instead of an F because everything needs a ridiculous brand name. This is not an over-designed car. If anything, it's exceedingly normal looking, which for an EV can be a relief. The Aria's wheels certainly stand out, but nothing else about this vehicle screams electric, which could help lure potential buyers who are weighing whether to make the switch from gas-powered vehicles. Like the ID4, the Aria is expected to retail for around $30,000 to $35,000 after factoring in tax credits. Now, Nissan is claiming this is the most technologically advanced car that it's ever made. And the tax credit is sure to soften the blow for some customers, but Nissan is quickly approaching the threshold of 200,000 EVs sold in the US. And after that, the credit begins to phase out. And then the value proposition on a $40,000 EV that can't travel as far as a Tesla on a single charge starts to dwindle. Not every electric vehicle coming to market this year is a truck or an SUV. Believe it or not, some companies are still making sedans. One EV startup that's releasing a luxury sedan this year is Lucid Motors, which will finally start selling the Air. The interior of the Air is inspired by a private jet, according to Lucid, but the car doesn't skip on specs either, with up to 1,000 horsepower and over 500 miles of range. Lucid Motors has a long history for an EV startup, having been founded in 2007 as a battery company, and it's currently helmed by a former Tesla executive who helped bring the Model S to life. But the path to now hasn't been easy. The company almost went under a few years ago because it pretty much ran out of money. Lucid Motors ultimately turned to, ironically, oil-rich Saudi Arabia. Now the startup is looking at building another factory in Saudi Arabia, and its future is sort of indefinitely tied to the kingdom. Lucid Motors may not be around today without that money, but if it had been able to hang on for just a little while longer, it might have had another option, merging with a special purpose acquisition company, or SPAC. These types of mergers have become really popular over the last year as interests swelled in electric vehicles. As a result, a few billion dollars has been directed at previously struggling or underfunded startups like Faraday Future, Canoe, Nikola and Fisker. 
It's the kind of development that could really change the course of the budding electric vehicle market, but right now it's just a little too early to say how. Many of these vehicles have been on the horizon for years, and all of them are expected to go on sale this year, notwithstanding any more delays. But while these EVs help us understand where things are headed, the automotive industry is still lumbering through a gigantic sea change right now. Like Tesla's existing vehicles, which are growing ever popular, and the company even just went back and did a big redesign of its Model S sedan and Model X SUV. Or then there's China, which is the biggest market for electric vehicles in the world and is really driving a lot of the things that we're seeing happening here in the US. There are some really interesting cars being made there, like the Polestar 2, and there are just a lot of really interesting startups there, like Neo and Xpeng. We'd actually love to talk more about that, so if that's something you want to see us make a video about, let us know in the comments below. And if you haven't already, definitely watch our review of the Ford Mustang Mach-E. Check that out. We had a lot of fun making that video. And be sure to like and subscribe. All right, so we will be hearing uh, that review at the end of the show, Mustang Mach-E. They entitled it, The Hype is Real. But let's talk about the best electric vehicles of 2021, top-rated EV cars and SUVs. Let's see what Edmonds has to say about that. If you've been thinking of switching over to an electric vehicle, you're in luck. There's no shortage of great choices and there are even more on the way. Now I get that not everybody is on board and that's fine but the advantages are pretty stark. You could say goodbye to gas stations unless you need air in your tires or a bag of jerky. Charging could also be hit or miss where you are, but getting a charger installed is easier than ever thanks to tax breaks and incentives for homeowners and landlords. Here then are some of the best EVs you can buy as rated and ranked by the entire Edmonds team during our exhaustive evaluation process. See more about that in the links below. Also, if you want a cash offer for your car, head on over to edmunds.com slash sellmycar. Just a word up front, prices do not include state and federal tax breaks or incentives because those change depending on where you live and range obviously varies depending on how you drive. The Tesla Model 3 is a top pick in the non-luxury EV class. Prices start right around $38,000 for the standard range plus model that is estimated to return 263 miles on a single charge. That's the furthest range in this class by a small margin. It is important to note that Tesla recommends charging to 90% under regular use and 100% only when needed to preserve battery life. So actual range is closer to 240 miles. Also, our results never seem to match those estimates, but those estimates can also change over the course of ownership thanks to occasional over-the-air updates. Like every other vehicle on this list, this is no weak sauce golf cart either. It hits 60 miles an hour in a quick 5.3 seconds and power delivery is instant. If you pony up another 10 grand, you can get the long range model that extends the range to 353 miles. Then there's the performance model that hits 60 miles an hour in a mere three seconds. There's also plenty of tech available including Tesla's purported autopilot driving system. We're no fans of the central touchscreen that can be distracting to use, and we'd love to see Apple CarPlay and Android Auto as an option too. But these drawbacks do little to dampen our enthusiasm for the Tesla Model 3. It's the right EV at the right price. 
As good as the Tesla Model 3 is, you might be asking, why would you get anything else? Well, Tesla's quality control and firmware update glitches have been somewhat suspect, especially for new models. And we've documented them quite thoroughly in our long-term test program. The Kia Nero EV comes in at a close second place with a starting price around $39,000 and an estimated range of 239 miles. Though in our evaluations, we easily cleared 250 miles in real world driving. It's about the size of a subcompact crossover SUV and is a little more versatile when it comes to cargo space. Kias are known for value and the Nero EV delivers with plenty of safety features that come standard. It also comes with the assurance of a 10-year, 100,000-mile warranty. We do wish all-wheel drive was an option, but for what the Nero EV offers, it's hard to fault it otherwise. The Hyundai Kona Electric costs a little bit less than the Nero and has a range of 258 miles. As with the Nero, that range is on the conservative side. One of our editors once managed to squeeze an impressive 315 miles from a single charge. Why is it ranked higher? Well, that's because it's only for sale in California, Colorado, Connecticut, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, Oregon, Rhode Island, and Vermont. And that's too bad because it's a really good EV. We had one in our long-term fleet and it performed admirably. It hit all the high points as far as overall performance, comfort, and tech features. Like the Kia, it's strong on value and has a very generous warranty. Outside of the limited sales regions, our only other gripe is its limited rear legroom and small cargo space. The Chevy Bolt gets an honorable mention for its 259 mile range, $38,000 price tag, and its spacious interior. If its interior were nicer and ride quality smoother, the Bolt would likely have placed higher. There's also a shout out to the Nissan Leaf at the most affordable on this list at only $32,000, but that's for the base 149 mile range model. The Leaf Plus increases that to 226 miles, but also costs $7,000 more. Now, if you're looking for a little more refinement, power, and prestige out of an EV, you're also in luck. Before you start wondering why a Ford is in the luxury class, it's because of price. The Mustang Mach-E starts in the mid $40,000 range and is estimated to return 230 miles. At the top of the range, the high-performance GT will set you back more than 60 grand, putting it squarely against competitors like the Tesla Model Y and Polestar 2. The mid-grade premium model we evaluated blew us away on a number of levels. With all-wheel drive, it had an output of 346 horsepower and 428 pound-feet of torque, and it felt like it was capitalizing on every last one of them. It's incredibly fun to drive and deserves the Mustang name. And yes, I've owned Mustangs in my life. At the same time, it's very practical, with the kind of passenger and cargo space you'd expect from a small SUV. And despite its sporting potential, it's remarkably comfortable. To top it off, the interior is reasonably luxurious and its infotainment system is as chic as Tesla's, but much easier to use. I was personally surprised by how much I liked the Mach-E, and I'm confident you'll agree when you get behind the wheel. With a starting price above $100,000, the Taycan definitely belongs in the luxury class, and it's also one reason why it's kept out of the top spot. But numbers prove to be pretty deceptive with this car. Porsche options are notoriously expensive, and you'll definitely be adding some to match the feature content of luxury 
and some non-luxury vehicles. Not all the numbers are negative, though. Even though the EPA estimates range at a paltry 203 miles for the Taycan 4S, we managed to get an impressive 323 miles from a single charge. That's a huge deal. Not surprisingly, the Taycan is very entertaining to drive. It's still a Porsche after all. It continues to earn more points with its comfortable seats and ride quality, but points were also deducted for its needlessly complicated infotainment system that also experienced some glitches. The Audi e-tron is priced starting around $67,000, but its range is estimated at a rather disappointing 222 miles, so it's not a great choice for longer road trips. I also think its infotainment system can be just as distracting as the Tesla's, and it doesn't seem to take full advantage of regenerative braking to get you even more range. It makes up for those shortcomings with its spacious interior, high levels of comfort, and a long list of standard and available tech features. It doesn't hurt that it's also a hoot to drive. There's also a new Sportback version that looks a little sleeker, but its sloping rear roofline does cut into cargo space. Next up is the Jaguar I-Pace, which made a big splash when it debuted, but sort of slid into obscurity since. Its $70,000 price tag may have something to do with that. Plus, its range is only marginally better than the Audi's at 234 miles. Like most Jags, it's satisfying to drive and its interior is a treat for the senses. We think it could stand to have stronger regenerative braking too. And past that, the physical brakes tend to be a little grabby and abrupt. Word is, you could probably get one for a screaming deal, so act fast if it's on your list. Next up is the Polestar 2. Polestar is new on the scene, but deep down, it's a Volvo. Unlike the Jag and Audi, it's more of a big hatchback than an SUV. I got to drive one with the optional performance package that adds a sport suspension and sticky tires, and it was almost as lively and fun as the Mach-E. Prices start just above 60 grand and range is estimated at 233 miles, which isn't all that impressive, but it's worth mentioning that it comes with two motors for all-wheel drive. As you may know, I appreciate strong design and the Polestar 2 brings me joy inside and out. I do wish the infotainment system was more friendly to Apple products though. As it is, it runs on a Google Android platform. Like the Volvo system, it takes a little longer to get acquainted with. The Tesla Model Y is a bargain compared to the previous luxury EVs, with a starting price around $50,000 and a range of 316 miles. If you opt for the more expensive performance model, the range drops slightly to 303 miles, but it'll hit 60 miles an hour in a redonkulous 3.7 seconds as verified in Edmunds testing. We also like the Model Y for the convenience of Tesla's supercharger network and its spacious interior. Like the Model 3, we wish it had Apple CarPlay and Android Auto integration though. Also, as thrilling as the performance model is, its negative effects on ride comfort may steer shoppers more towards the long-range version instead. As we head into the next decade, there are plenty more EVs to look forward to. The Volvo XC40 is one of my favorite small SUVs, so it makes sense that the electric version has my interest peaked. With 402 horsepower and 200 miles of range, its mid $50,000 starting price seems reasonable. It sets itself apart from the rest with its distinctive style and it's sized right if you don't have kids. Near the end of 2021, we expect to see the all new Nissan Aria debut. It should start around the $40,000 mark for a 63 kilowatt hour battery. There will also be an 87 kilowatt hour version 
that is estimated to return 300 miles of range. The Aria's exterior styling is more graceful than current Nissans, and the same holds true for the interior that has echoes of Mercedes MBUX screens. 2021 may also mark the year of the electric pickup. The new Hummer EV is a huge departure from the gas-guzzling Hummers from years past. Even better, it's projected to have an output of a whopping 1,000 horsepower and hit 60 miles an hour in only three seconds. On top of that, it should be a serious off-roader and it'll have a ton of tech, including a version of Cadillac Super Cruise self-driving system. All of this won't come cheap though. Prices start above 100 grand in the first year. A base model will be available for about $80,000 in following years. We've been excited about the Rivian R1T since it debuted in 2018. It splits the size difference between full-sized and mid-sized trucks and has a dedicated electric motor for each wheel. That enables it to perform the tank turn where the right and left sides drive in opposite directions, allowing it to turn in place. Rivian claims it can reach 60 miles an hour in three seconds, have a 400 mile range, and tow as much as 11,000 pounds. We'll see for ourselves how accurate those estimates are soon. And I, for one, can't wait. Sometime in mid-2022, we expect to see the next evolution of the current top-rated pickup truck, the Ford F-150 EV. This electric variant claims to be the most powerful F-150 ever, yet will also be the least expensive in regard to operating and maintenance costs. Great news for the many owners who rely on them for work. And there we have it. We should have more information on the upcoming models throughout the year, so keep checking back here for the latest, greatest videos. As always, head on over to edmunds.com for all your car shopping needs. Okay, so they seem to be impressed with the Mustang, Mustang Mach-E as well. And I'm so surprised about the Porsche that can go over 300 miles. So, uh, that, that was Edmund's take on the best electric cars of 2021. Now, you know, often we wonder, well, how are we going to charge them while we're driving around? So CNBC has a video out, so we'll hear audio. It's called How Tesla, GM, and Others Will Fix Electric Vehicle Range Anxiety. So let's uh, hear what that is all about. Investors and automakers agree, the future is electric. Electric cars are very much in America's future. We still do believe in an all-electric future, and we're using this time to accelerate uh, our work, and we believe let's get to all-electric vehicles as quickly as possible. The popularity and success of Tesla has proven there is demand for electric cars. In the U.S., Tesla made up about 80% of electric car sales in 2019. A new competition continues to enter the market as more countries and states promote the use of EVs. Analysts predict record growth for EVs in 2021, especially in Europe and China. But in the U.S., electric vehicles are less than 2% of autos sold annually. Several hurdles remain for the market to really take off, and one of the biggest is charging. The demand for EVs is not very high right now, and that's been one of the biggest discussions is how much infrastructure should we build out compared to the sales? Because everyone's planning for an EV future, but we're not even close to it being there yet. And consumers know it. 
In one study, 83% of consumers who would not consider buying an EV said it was because of battery life and charging anxiety. This is not a simple problem. Transitioning uh, a whole transportation and energy set from petroleum-based all the way to electrification is not something that's gonna happen overnight. We wanted to explore the current state of electric charging and what needs to happen in order for electric vehicles to become mainstream. Electric cars are not a new idea and were invented as far back as the 1830s. But it hasn't been until the last 20 years that electric vehicles or EVs have started to gain popularity, thanks in part to the advancements in battery technology and the push to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And when the all-electric Tesla Roadster came out in 2008, it changed people's perception on what electric cars could be and helped launch and accelerate more EV programs. But a lot of consumers still aren't making the transition. Consumers are very set in their ways. You have to know how to plug them in. You have to know the range. You have to know what impacts your range so you don't run out of energy. Last year, 143 new EVs launched across the globe. And by 2023, IHS predicts over 43 brands will offer an EV. The range of how far a car can drive on a single charge is improving, but still remains a concern for some buyers. Tesla's Model S leads the industry with a range of 402 miles, while other manufacturers can be anywhere from 100 to 250 miles per charge. And Lucid Motors' new EV sedan is expected to have a range of 517 miles. Clearly the technology has its merits and the, the remaining challenge relates ultimately to, to electric vehicle charging. In 2019, 68% of EV owners said that there is not enough charging available around their home. There are over 88,000 charging outlets and roughly 27,000 charging stations, compared to the 156,000 gas stations in the U.S. According to the Breakthrough Institute, there is an anticipated need for 9.6 million EV chargers in the U.S. by 2030. Not all charging stations are the same. Tesla chargers, for example, only work on Tesla vehicles, while most other companies are brand neutral and can charge any type of EV. There are three major types of charging. Level one and level two are most common in homes, workplaces, and public charging areas. They charge between two to 20 miles of range per hour. DC fast charging, or level three, can deliver 60 to 80 miles of range in roughly 20 minutes. Not every EV on the market can handle this type of charge. As more cars come out, most are working towards higher voltage charging. We're not going to, to charge electric vehicles in exactly the same way that we, we refill gasoline vehicles. Uh, the vast majority of electric vehicle charging so far does and will continue to take place at home. But of course, this isn't applicable for everyone. Not everyone has perhaps their own carport or their own garage in which to charge. California is somewhat different. They have a lot of EV charging stations, which is why Tesla sells so well there. But I mean, in the heartland of America, anywhere else, it's very difficult to find an EV charging station. Tesla has set a high bar when it comes to charging. Its supercharging network has created what Morgan Stanley referred to as a competitive moat over other EV charging companies. A majority of the DC fast chargers in the US are Tesla superchargers. GM's philosophy, they have not wanted to invest a lot of their own money to build out their own network. They've instead partnered 
with different EV charging startups or companies. GM announced earlier this year that it plans to spend $20 billion through 2025 on its next-generation all-electric and autonomous vehicles. It unveiled the Cadillac Lyric, GMC's all-electric Hummer, and acquired an 11% stake in electric truck maker Nikola. But the company is also getting into charging. GM announced a partnership with EVgo in July to build more than 2,700 new fast chargers across the U.S. in the next five years. GM and EVgo declined to announce how much it plans to invest. When we're looking at strategies associated with bringing infrastructure to light, we, we really want to enable that infrastructure for all customers. And so part of that is, is also enabling uh, a business model that works. And, and so partnering with a group like EVgo really helps us establish those business models where things like utilization, other aspects of the business can come to market. Many automakers have decided to partner with private companies rather than take the route Tesla did and build out their own networks. Ionity is a joint venture made up of several automakers that aim to add more charging stations throughout Europe. Other automakers are not necessarily going to follow the path that Tesla have taken because it's, it's quite unique and it's, it's certainly one that we should admire and learn from, the, the, the path that they've taken with the infrastructure that they've installed. I think what Tesla did great was they realized from the off that the high power fast charging capability on key routes was the bit that they would need to implement in order to convince potential consumers to buy a Tesla. Other automakers are realizing having reliable, widely available infrastructure can help sell cars. The bottom line is, if you want those vehicles in your backyard, you, you got to have the charging. The infrastructure has to come first, and customers have to see that infrastructure start to be comfortable with it. Several key players have emerged to fill in the gaps across the U.S. ChargePoint says it has 115,000 charging points globally, most of them in the U.S. ChargePoint's investors include Daimler, BMW, and the venture arm of Chevron Corp., among others. It plans to create as many as 2.5 million chargers by 2025. Electrify America was created as part of Volkswagen's diesel emissions settlement with the U.S. and California. As part of the settlement, it will spend $2 billion by the end of 2026. We have 470 sites in operations right now. The distance that we have between the sites it's already in average about 70 miles. And already today we have 96% of Americans, they actually live within 120 miles from our side. So we are young actually, but we are growing fast. The company started with a focus in California and is now expanding throughout the US. It sees Tesla not as competition, but as an example of what its network could be. Tesla is a reference for us in terms of charging experience. And the good news, we are working, you know, with this company and uh, we are building some sites together. And uh, we are using Tesla batteries to mitigate the cost of the main chargers on our sites, one of the 20 sites actually at the moment. Several other companies in the space are taking different approaches. Volta, for example, uses its chargers for digital advertising, allowing users to recharge for free. There are also mobile charging companies like Spark Charge and Freewire, whose business model is a portable approach. Freewire has received investments from Volvo and BP. Envision is taking a solar approach, and even Shell is investing in the space. 
The bigger oil and gas companies are getting into this space. BP, they've invested in a biggish UK network, Chargemaster. We've seen the same with Shell. They've taken a significant stake in Newmotion in the, in the Netherlands. I guess some of the investment in these in these companies at this stage is relatively minor, given the given the funds that these companies have. So it could be argued that they are making these investments to to future proof themselves, whether EVs thrive or or not. Developing infrastructure for electric charging is complex. Companies need to decide how much power they need, the kind of chargers they are going to install, and where to install them. Do we need a a charging station in every corner? I would say no, that we don't. And we don't need as many electric vehicle charging stations in the public domain as we've needed gas stations to date. Defining exactly how much we need is a huge challenge. What's great and really neat about this industry is sort of matching charging times with the use case. Faster isn't always better, frankly speaking. When you can get out of the car, plug in at home at night, and go to bed and wake up with a full charge, much like your cell phone, you really can match the the charging speed, the technology, and the experience together to really get at what you're, you're trying to tackle, which is get that customer their range back as they need it. When we think about faster charging when you're out and about, maybe you live in an apartment building and you don't have access to charging overnight. So putting in charging at the grocery store, you're going to want to get most of that battery back in that 30 to 45 minute shopping trip. Electrify America just finished building a cross-country route which gives users access to its DC fast chargers. The company says its primary focus is fast charging. If you want to serve customers out there, you know, to bring them on the charging station and back on the road, well, actually, I believe that you need to be fast. In the U.S. alone, McKinsey and Company projects it will cost as much as $11 billion to ensure public charging stations are as easily accessible as gas stations. The biggest challenges for the charge point operators now are to, are to continue the build out of their network and continue to put an increased amount of infrastructure in the ground whilst maintaining profitability. From their perspective, I think if you ask them what do they need, they need they need EVs, but they also would like to see, of course, you know, um, legislation from the government to promote EV ownership. Another challenge when building chargers, especially fast chargers, is how much power companies need to pull from the grid. A study by the U.S. Department of Energy found electric vehicles could raise national power consumption by 38% by 2050. The amount of energy needed affects the cost for the customer. To calculate the cost per mile of an EV depends on the battery type and the cost of energy. Energy costs are different from state to state, and therefore pricing may be less in Nevada and more in California. Residential and commercial rates also differ. Tesla charges $0.28 per kilowatt hour at most supercharger locations. At that rate, it would cost $21 to fully recharge a Model 3. Charging network pricing models are pay-as-you-go, monthly subscriptions, or in some cases, free. They can charge by the minute or by kilowatt hour. Paying by kilowatt hour is similar to paying by the gallon in gas stations. California recently banned pay-by-minute, stating, Time is not an acceptable unit of measure for dispensing and billing electricity as motor vehicle fuel. When it comes to charging infrastructure, the U.S. lags behind Europe and China, where the government has made electric cars a huge priority. China recently announced it will spend almost 2.7 billion yuan on battery charging infrastructure. We think that the U.S. has somewhere in the region of of 15,000 outlets for DC charging at somewhere in the region of 4,000 locations. You know, compare this to, to China, who 
at the, start, at the end of 2019 had somewhere in the region of 200,000 DC uh, fast charge outlets and, and that's expected to rise to 270,000 by the end of this year. That's a level of magnitude higher. Of course, the challenges are slightly different as well. A lot more people are living in the urban environment in China. They, that even less people will have the opportunity to charge domestically. Electric charging infrastructure has grown quickly in the past 10 years and will continue to grow as vehicles' ranges, batteries, and charging capabilities continue to improve. The uh, capability and also the maturity of the network will evolve. So you're going to have energy services, you will be able to have a bi-directional communication between the cars and the network. So the sun shines at two o'clock in the afternoon in California, and there's an overabundance of electricity because the sun's shining. How do we start to match that opportunity where we say, hey cars, start charging, the sun's here. And doing that in such a seamless way for customers where they've forgotten about their sort of charging behaviors, we're managing that with electric utilities in the background and we're getting cheaper energy, energy that's better for the grid and making it more efficient, as well as cleaner energy overall. So I think over time what you're going to see with charging is essentially it'll become such a seamless thing that most customers won't even have to think about it. The question remains, even when we do add more charging infrastructure, can it boost electric vehicle sales and adoption? Once we get to that level where the price is with gas or even lower, the range is with gas or even lower, I think that's really going to be an inflection point for consumers and people that aren't early adopters to come into the EV space. All right, let's move on to The Verge's Mustang Mach-E review. The hype is real. An electric Mustang is an idea that seemed almost unfathomable just a few short years ago, but now it exists. Ford went really far out on a limb here by calling this thing a Mustang, and you know what? It's pretty good. I'm not gonna beat around the bush here. The Mustang Mach-E is the most competent electric vehicle not made by Tesla or Porsche on the road right now. And in a few areas is maybe even a little bit better than the EVs Elon Musk has been making for the last decade. The Mustang Mach-E is really solidly built. It's a lot of fun to drive. It has plenty of range for daily driving and short trips. And it puts technology front and center in a way that other automakers usually mess up. It's not exactly cheap. It starts at around $43,000. And this version, which I tested for the last week with all-wheel drive and the extended range battery pack costs about $55,000. But it can be more affordable than a Tesla Model Y or even a Chevy Bolt, depending on which version you buy, because Ford's cars are still eligible for that full federal EV tax credit. And it's certainly more attainable than the luxury electric cars that currently make up the EV market right now, like the Jaguar I-Pace, the Mercedes-Benz EQC, and the Audi e-tron. But Ford dared call this a Mustang, so let's start with a few Mustang things, like performance. There are five total models with a variety of ranges from 211 miles to 305 miles. The model I tested had a range of about 270 miles and could go from zero to 60 in just about five seconds. That's not the quickest version Ford will sell. That'll be the GT Performance coming later this year, which can do it in 3.5 seconds. 
There are three driving modes. Unbridled has the tightest steering and the quickest acceleration and is basically your best bet for flirting with local speed limits. Whisper is, of course, the quietest mode and also offers the loosest steering and really smooth coasting when you pull your foot off the throttle. Engaged is sort of a middle ground, a mix of somewhat sporty driving, but without the oomph of unbridled mode. I should say, this doesn't have the same kind of heart-stopping acceleration that the Porsche Taycan or Tesla's performance models offer. If you want that from the Mustang Mach-E, you're gonna have to wait and pay more for the GT Performance or regular GT version. But I found this had enough giddy-up for me in an SUV of this size, and while I was comfortable with 270 miles, I wouldn't wanna buy one with less. There's another component to the Mach-E's Mustang-ness that we should probably talk about, and that's its looks. I did think it looked a little bit strange at first, especially with the grillless design on the model that I tested, but it really grew on me over time. I don't love the metallic silver color that I had on this review unit. I would have much rather tried the really bright blue that our video directors Becca and Alex had for this shoot. And I also really like the sort of yellowish orange that Ford's keeping for the highest performance models that are coming out later. I'm less in love with the look of the car from the rear where it looks like the Mustang's iconic tri-bar lighting is sort of trying to escape from the back of a more pedestrian SUV. Overall though, I think Ford did a good job of making it just different enough that it catches people's eyes without making it too strange. I got a lot of thumbs up and questions about it when I was driving and parking it over the past week. And you could tell that people were really familiar with it in a way that I wouldn't have expected. What are you driving? An electric Mustang. What the, that is so sweet. <laughs> I was like, it's got ponies on it. It says Mach. <laughs> That's a good thing for electric cars, which Tesla aside, have so far looked so different that they're kind of off-putting or so similar in some cases that it's hard to tell what's different about them at all. One place where I think Ford has a leg up over Tesla with the Mustang Mach-E is, shocker, build quality. On the outside, there aren't any big seams between the panels, and then on the inside, everything just feels really well put together. There's not a lot of road noise. It's just pretty clear that this is coming from an automaker that has spent a century almost perfecting the car making process. The interior is really comfortable without feeling so nice that you wouldn't want to eat a cheeseburger in it. And it's just really spacious too. There are also a bunch of USB-A and USB-C ports, which is a nice touch, and a wireless charging pad, which I love, except for the fact that my iPhone kept sliding around while I was driving, which prompted a really distracting error message. But the big draw is the main 15.5 inch portrait touchscreen on the dashboards. First, I love the physicality of it. Despite the floating effect, it really feels solidly bolted on, and better yet, like you could sort of hammer away at the screen for years, without something going wrong. The quality of the panel is great too. The graphics are crisp and the colors are bright. You really have to go hunting to see any pixels or jagged edges. Now, the logic of the software on the main screen feels a little bit fuzzy. There's an almost WebOS-y card-based system that surfaces frequently used functions, but it doesn't offer quick access to deep menu settings like drive modes or screen brightness, which I think would be more useful. There are also just little quirks that I couldn't really stand, like how Ford's mapping system doesn't let you move the map to repopulate search results when you're looking for, say, EV chargers. And while this is a touchscreen, there's also a big silver volume knob at the bottom, which has pretty satisfying feedback, but I just use the volume button on the steering wheel most of the time. 
One more thing that I wish was a little bit different about this user interface was just a little bit more customization on the instrument cluster screen. Like the ability to put say, how many kilowatt hours per mile you're using or other things. Ford has a couple different versions that will pop up depending on which driving mode you're in, but there's no real customization as to what's on that screen behind the steering wheel. And I kind of wish there was. These are all things that could be changed with over the air software updates, just something Ford's promised with the Mustang Mach-E. That's something that Tesla has popularized over the years, but big automakers usually tend to get wrong. So here's hoping Ford actually gets it right. There is one big feature that is still missing right now on the Mach-E that I wish I could have tested, which is that Ford's promising a true hands-free driving mode. It'll be the first in Ford's lineup and it's basically comparable to what GM and Cadillac have been doing for the last few years with Super Cruise. In its place right now, there's just a more normal advanced driver assistance package, which does include things like lane centering, but I did find it to be a little finicky. Even when the true hands-free driving option comes out, it'll only be available on highways that Ford maps ahead of time. And there's a camera behind the steering wheel that's actually on this version of the Mach-E already that'll be tracking your eyes to make sure you're paying attention to the road. So don't expect this to be some fully self-driving car. For the most part, the Mach-E is a really great experience, but the biggest drawback is the same drawback of any EV that's not a Tesla right now, charging. Charging in the US is just a mess. There are all sorts of different networks with different charging rates, with different pricing structures, different upkeep for those charging stations, and it's just a real hit or miss experience that's difficult to navigate, even if you know all of that going in. You have to be pretty highly educated on what the different services are and what they offer. And even then you can still run into problems. For example, I went to an Electrify America station. This is basically Volkswagen's version of Tesla's supercharger network and still ran into problems. I would plug the Mach-E into one outlet and it would give me an error message. I would plug it into another and it would charge way slower than it should. It's enough of a drag already to know that you're gonna have to spend maybe 30 minutes, 40 minutes, maybe even longer at slower stations, but it's worse when you get there and you have to spend more time doing this little do-si-do -si -do between all the different charging stations just to find one that's working. And if Volkswagen's network isn't gonna be able to do it, then the smaller networks are certainly gonna have trouble with it. And even when they work well, they're charging your car more slowly. This is a problem and it needs to be fixed. It's not necessarily Ford's problem to fix, though I will say, Ford is collecting all of these networks and sort of combining them into what it's called the Ford Pass charging network. In theory, it's a really good idea. They're making all these charging networks easy to find in the Ford Pass app or in the dashboard screen of the Mach-E so that you have a one-stop shop for your nearest charging. And Ford is also even trying to bundle some of those services together into your Ford account so that you don't have to have all these different charging accounts and charging apps. You could theoretically just pull up, plug in, and let it take care of all of the financial stuff in the background. That doesn't quite work really well just yet. And the problem that Ford's going to face with this is that people are going to buy this car and use those charging networks and run into some of those problems and they might wind up thinking, boy, Ford's charging network is a real bummer. And so I hope that those charging networks can improve really quickly. And in fact, a lot of them are all out there right now raising a lot of money trying to do just that. But even in a best case scenario, it's gonna be another couple years before we have something that's really comparable to Tesla's supercharger network or big enough to handle the market that these automakers say they're gonna be able to create with electric vehicles. 
Now, a few other things before I'm done here. One, I didn't have much need for it during the week I spent with this car, but there's a lot of good storage in the Mustang Mach-E. The front trunk is especially big. The car also just feels bigger on the inside than it looks on the outside. In our driveway, for example, it looked comparable in size to our Subaru Impreza hatchback, but from the driver's seat, it felt like I was behind the wheel of a much larger full-size SUV. Some of this comes from the fact that you're riding above the battery pack, which offers a more commanding view of the road, but it's also because the Mach-E has an all-glass roof that offers more headroom in general. I don't think people should underestimate just how important the Mustang Mach-E could be. The Mustang branding makes it instantly familiar, and the design is striking enough that it gets noticed right away without being so out there that it's uncomfortable or weird or alien. It's the kind of car that in a couple years, if enough of them are on the road, it could really make people take notice and think about buying an electric car in a way that the I-Pace or the Audi e-tron or the Chevy Bolt never have or will. I think Ford is tapping into something only Tesla really does well right now with the Mach-E, which is trying to mix that modern design with increasing ubiquity in a way that could make people feel like they're missing out on something, much like the effect a new iPhone can have. There are definitely still hurdles, don't get me wrong, starting with the fact that the first big batch of Mustang Mach-E deliveries has been delayed. Ford's not the only company to face this problem. Volkswagen, Audi, and others have all run into issues getting their first mass-market EVs on the road, but it's still a problem Ford needs to solve. Even when it does, Ford will have other questions to answer too, like around charging, how receptive dealers will be to this car, how Ford's software updates will go, and how good, and more importantly, how safe the hands-free driving feature will be. But for now, that it exists is an achievement in its own right. Three years ago, Ford set out to make a new electric car as part of a multi-billion dollar push into electric vehicles. It originally wanted to make something that was more like a Ford Focus, but that was thankfully turned into something that is far more exciting in the Mustang Mach-E. Hey everybody, if you have any questions, comments, thoughts, opinions, I'm sure. All right, so there you go. That is the review on the Mustang Mach-E. And that will do it for our show. I hope you enjoyed our show on electric vehicles and the electric vehicle charging problems. Uh, hopefully they'll get that fixed up. But if you have any questions or comments on what you heard on the show today, you can email me at consumerreviewreport at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook at Consumer Review Report and on Twitter at CRR in McKeesport. This is the Consumer Review Report on WMCK.FM, a, a service of Tube City Online, Tube City Community Media, Inc., heard Sunday at 4 p.m. and Thursday at 9 a.m. Podcasts of these shows are available on WMCK.FM slash CRR, iTunes, Google, iHeart, Spotify, and Spreaker. I'm Diane Rebecca wishing everyone a safe and good week.